So, good morning. Our reading this morning is from Luke 4, verses 14 to 22. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? I just want to say one thing just before I pray and, and get into it. There's so much happening at the moment, and if you're getting stuff from God, which you feel is for the church at this time, Please can I signpost an email address to you, which I think we've got on the screen, which is prophecy at chanctonbury.org.uk. Prophecy at chanctonbury.org.uk. Desk people are like shaking their heads. Prophecy, dead easy, prophecy at chanctonbury.org.uk. Uh, we just, you know, the Wednesdays have been awesome. There's so much going on, and lots of us here are hearing the Lord, and we just want to uh, catch that pray over it. And where that goes into, it basically goes into Lou. What we track is themes which are recurrent, we'll then bring to the leadership and pray through. Uh, so please will you send it there if you've got loads of stuff. Because um, also in a room like this, sometimes and we've just got not much room at all, it's not always easy to pick it up all the time. And if you say anything to me at church, I'll forget it straight away. So please send it there. Um, not because it's you, just because that's, like, my brain is mush on a Sunday. Um, and if you have stuff for the services, the best place is to join us at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, which I know is hardcore, but we've got a bunch of people there who aren't even paid to be there, uh, but they come just to consecrate the services, all five congregations, to the Lord, uh, and that's where we often catch words for the day, uh, that God is saying and releasing for services. So um, do join us there or check in, and we'd love to catch that. Prophecy at chanctonbury.org.uk. All right? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing. It just blows us away. We thank you so much that you, as creator of the universe, would come and presence yourself in our midst. I pray as we turn to your word that you would burn in our hearts passion for Jesus. 
that you'd rearrange our internal mental and heart furniture to be aligned with Jesus, to reflect him more and more and more. And I pray that you'd send us from here just bursting with the good news of who Jesus is. And I pray that in your name. Amen. Uh, if you've not been with us before, as I know there are one or two new faces amongst us, we're four months into uh, a series going through Luke's Gospel. Um, we are going to end at the end of April 2024, where we'll jump straight into Luke Part 2, which is the book of Acts. And what we wanted to get into is, who is Jesus? What does it look like to uh, follow and serve and worship, not the figment of our imagination, not the person that we'd love him to be, to make all our dreams come true, but who is Jesus who comes to disrupt us and to offer us the kindest offer he could make, which is to repent, to turn and change our lives, and to find real life in him. And so we're going through every verse of Luke's gospel, uh, not just our favorites from the Bible, not just the book of Ephesians, but we're going through every verse of Luke's gospel. And today we find ourselves at the dawn of a new stage in the gospel. Really, for the first pretty much three chapters, we've been getting the most detail out of all the gospel writers about Jesus' birth. We've got some fragments about his childhood, age 12, and we've got his preparation for ministry. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. But at chapter 4, really in this passage, we've got the opening of the next stage of Jesus' ministry. And that's why what we're going to look at today really is like the, the unfurling of the plan. Here's the, here's the manifesto um, that Jesus is putting out for the next five chapters. And what we're going to find after this passage today is really the living out of what we're going to read today. And then in chapter 9, we hit phase 3 in Luke's Gospel, which is where Jesus suddenly, having been not in the center of power, not in the HQ of all things, not amongst the elite and the powerful. Jesus is, in these chapters, going to be around the backwater towns and villages. It's the Stenning, Storrington, Ashington, Washington, you know, off the, far away from the bright lights of Brighton and all of that. He's in the the sort of surrounding towns and and villages, living out what he's going to tell us this morning. Then in chapter 9, the focus changes. And it goes from Jesus' ministry to, and he's going to minister along the way, but to Jesus' saving work, which will culminate in the cross. And from chapters 9 to 19, really the focus is Jerusalem, which will culminate in the cross, obviously the resurrection, Jesus' ascension right at the end of Luke's gospel, and then what we'll get into in the Acts of the Apostles. So that's what's sort of going on. And Jesus comes here, and we're going to go through some verses now, um, Oh, let me just back up. What I'm going to do this morning is I want to try and uh, prod us with the question, which is this. What season are we in the life of the church? What season in the life of the church are we in? And we're going to hopefully have some help from from this passage. Because if if we're kind of... um, God loves us, right? But if we're doing the wrong stuff at the wrong time, we won't be fruitful. So, 
what I want to try and get to is, is to understand at this moment, what season are we in in the life of God's church? God's church, not Chang, God's church. What season are we in so that as we sort of live our lives um, with him at the center, then he can actually sort of anoint us with what we need to be fruitful in the days that we're living in at this time. Does that sound like a good question? Okay, good. What I'm also going to do is um, pause halfway through and offer some reflections because the last time I preached from this passage was 10 years ago in this church. And it was the very first Sunday that I had in Chanctonbury. And I was able to select the passage and I chose this passage of scripture. So I'm usually quite emotional anyway, but I'm slightly a bit more emotional than normal. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Britain. <laughs> um, but this is, so, this, so I'm reflective on what actually have I learned serving here for 10 years and what would I add to what we've done reflecting back going forwards. That sound good? So that's where we're going to go um, this morning. You're going to get a little bit more than the nine. Um, so, right. Now, we sorted out all of our temptations last week, didn't we? <laughs> so Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is interesting. If we're in a wilderness, it doesn't always mean we've done the wrong thing. He's led by the Spirit because God is allowing Jesus to be tested. And he's tested with three areas that are so pertinent to us as the church. He's tested first with the temptation to comfort, to satisfy the desires of the flesh with the things of this world. And so he's offered a steaming, warm, uh, you know, sourdough loaf straight out of the oven when he's famished and hungry. And, you know, my goodness, do we have to beware of the temptation to go for the comfortable option rather than the Jesus option. If you actually dare tell anyone you're a Christian in this day and age, it's likely that you'll be met with quite a funny reaction because of the society state of, of culture is where we're living in today. So it's easy, isn't it, just to keep our head down, don't rock the boat, da-da-da-da-da. And, and I'm telling you what, we, to be fruitful for Jesus, we cannot be afraid in the times that we're living in. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if we, take the, if we take that perspective, that eternal perspective, I've got a few moments on earth. It feels like a long time sometimes, but really, in the grand scheme of God, I'm very, very, very small, and I'm only here for a moment. And yet my gain, if I'm in Christ, is I get to be with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, infinitely. So actually, if everything goes wrong, the worst that could happen is that you get killed. <laughs> But if we know Jesus, it doesn't even matter because we're going to live with him forever. So for us to live, therefore, is Christ, all in. Nothing held back, not the comfortable option. And if we die, then that's gain to us. Second temptation was to gain influence and power through shortcuts. To, to enjoy that. To enjoy the, the feeling of control and power when we, are, we have people under us or we are in control of every detail. Now, does anyone mildly have a tendency towards that? Okay, fantastic. Good job we broke it off last week. Um, because Jesus was offered all the kingdoms of the world as long as he bows down to the enemy. No, 
No. How we gain Jesus is we give ourselves away because he gave himself away. We die to ourselves. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then he will exalt us to bring glory to him as we go forward. That's our modus operandi. So we just have a radar for power, control, and all those things. And we just say, no, we're not having that. The third thing that Jesus overcame in the wilderness, pertinent to us, is self-gratification. Use all this stuff for my own, you know, I'm becoming my truest expression of, of me and all of that. No, no, no. God doesn't want me to become me. God wants me to become like Jesus. That's the gospel. But we're living, we're drinking the water of our culture, which has, because it's removed God over the last 40, 50 years, the human heart has to worship something. I'm really rehearsing what we did last week. That's why we're the first culture in the world to celebrate our own faces so that everybody sees it on Facebook. Because if we stop worshipping God, there's no, well, some, some people worship nature, some people da 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 We have to worship something. And in a secular, materialistic, scientific-influenced culture as we live in in Britain, we therefore have to turn to ourselves. And so it's like, oh, just be who you want to be. You know, da, da, be the truest. It's not working for us very well, is it? As all our statistics of mental health and, and purposelessness rise in our country. And so the temptation for us is to actually take the things of God and just see it all through the lens of my own personal benefit. And the Copernican revolution that Jesus does Copernicus was the guy who said, no, 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 no. It's not that the planets and the stars all revolve around the earth. It's actually that we're all revolving around the sun. And when God opens your heart and opens your eyes to see that he loves you so much that he sent his son to reconcile you back to God, to deal with all the crud in your heart that you couldn't sort out on your own, to set you free to worship him forever and ever and ever, and that is real life. The Copernican revolution is like, no, no, no. We orient around the Son of God now. <laughs> he doesn't fit into our lives. We're to fit into his life by choosing the narrow road, which few find, and not the easy option. And so Jesus was tested with all these things. And what happened was, well, let me ask you a question. Who here would like more of the power of God in their lives? Fantastic. Well, we should be inviting God to test us any way he chooses. Because Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where the Father says, you can try your best. <laughs> you can try your best. It's almost Job style. And he tries his best. And Jesus overcomes. And what happens then is we find Jesus emerging from his testing. Verse 14, then Jesus filled with the power of the Spirit. He's led and filled at his baptism, but that, that presence of God grows in strength and it becomes full-on power through his testing in the wilderness. So if you're being tested, you can expect God to draw you out more godly if you keep your eyes more full of the power of God, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Then Jesus, let's turn to the passage, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, doesn't go straight to London, New York, you know, Tokyo. Doesn't go to the powerful, influential center. He goes to the people, the towns and villages. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. 
think about this for a minute. Is a report spreading around the towns and villages of the UK on what is going on in the church? I'm not beating anybody up and certainly not beating the church up, but I'm, I'm putting an appetite in us for all that God has for us. We, we've become irrelevant, marginalized, silent in so many ways. And yet Jesus, who is the head of the church, according to Colossians 1, you know, his leadership, we're always trying to surrender to Jesus because he's the real head, you know, leading, leading us through as we, as we go forward, forward in him. If a report about Jesus spread around because of the provocative magnetism and power on his life, shouldn't that be defining us as well? Because people are hungering and longing for more. And whatever's being offered to them in 21st century Western society is just not cutting it. Jesus began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Two things to notice from that. He began to teach in their synagogues. Jesus is right in the heart of Jewish worship. Jesus is turning up week after week. Jesus is stepping into all of their customs, rituals, worshipping life. And now he's going to take it in a new direction. And he was praised by everybody. Now that's where we're at at the moment. And we're not going to get quite to that today. But in two weeks' time, what we're going to find is that the being praised by everybody starts to run dry. Because after what happens next, there's an attempt on Jesus' life. I just want to keep saying this. If we are serving the Lord wholeheartedly, we're going to run into conflict at some point. We are. And when we run into conflict, so often my temptation is to step back. And yet the Son of God stepped forward. And for the joy set before him, he endured even death on the cross. And so for us, if we are to be fruitful and effective, we've got to just deal with our aversion to, to pain. <laughs> to serve the Lord. To, to be like, thought of as not great. Even that's just a crucifixion we probably need to go, to go through. We can't be really, really popular and serve the Lord and it all go well all the time if we're taking a gospel model for how it's going to go. All right? So who's up for that? Yay! Okay, brilliant. Right, verse 16. When he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Let's just remember, he was born in Bethlehem, fled to Egypt to escape Herod's persecution, came back to Nazareth. So that's why he's been brought up there. When he came to Nazareth, his hometown... So it would be like, local boy come good. Returning back where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Whether that was part of their lectionary, their plan for reading the scriptures, who knows. But now Jesus is uber intentional. Out of 66 chapters of Isaiah... He looks down and he finds this place. He unrolls the scroll and finds the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free 
and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now when Jesus opened the scroll, found his way through, and began to read, he was echoing Isaiah chapter 61. Now we have a few verses from the start of Isaiah 61 there, and he stops after to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But every single person in that synagogue would have had the rest of chapter 61 echoing in their ears. Chapter 61 talks about the incredible divine exchange. It was a prophecy from Isaiah into the people of God who were exiled, who were far from their, their land, who were longing for Jerusalem to be restored. They were longing for the rebuilding of their land and their customs, their worship, their culture. And it goes on, this divine exchange in this passage. It's like there's going to be a time where everything that's wrong is going to be made right. Those who have faint spirits, despairing spirits, are going to have an oil of gladness and a garment of praise. The prisoners are going to be released. Those who've been blind are going to see. They're going to leap for joy. There's going to be a rebuilding of the ruined cities. This is Isaiah 61. The places that have been ravaged and devastated are going to be restored. There's going to be, uh, all the nations are going to come and they're going to help us and they're going to receive the Lord because the Jews knew it wasn't just about them. Isaiah 43, that they were called also to be a light to all the nations so that as they came into their fullness and became the people of God, all the other nations would look at them and go, that's what God is like, that's what it means to be like God's people and they would begin to emulate and discover who God was. And righteousness and praise, uh, Isaiah 61, will spring up from all the nations. So every single person in that synagogue 2,000 years ago, when Jesus read from that scroll, they would know all of that. This is the restoration of all things. And this is going to be the time where the new age begins and everything is beginning to be made right and everything is going to go well and every sorrowful heart is going to be restored and every bound person is going to be freed. And this is what it looks like in this new time. Okay, so everyone in the synagogue would be reminded of all of those things. And Jesus then says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because what defined the dawning of that new day, from exile and sorrow and devastation, to restoration, redemption and joy, what marks that time was the coming of the person who's going to bring it. And so when Isaiah prophesied about Isaiah 61, he, he prophesied about a messianic servant a messianic leader, a messiah, the person who's going to sort everything out and he's going to lead us into this brand new day. Now let's just pause for a moment and just say, can you imagine if someone got in touch with Rishi Sunak and said, man, all the churches are devastated. All their buildings cost so much money to be restored. You know, the people in the land are displaced. They don't know which way's up, which way's down. Black's white, white's black. It's all over the shop. Everyone's confused. Everybody's down. You know, there's so many problems. But don't worry, someone is coming. Someone is coming who's our deliverer, 
who's going to restore everything and who's going to bring about a brand new day for this country. Can you imagine if someone contacted Rishi and then he got on a press conference and said, guys, don't worry, there's a deliverer coming, there's a rescuer coming, there's a messiah coming, and when he arrives, everything's going to go. This is what they were longing for. You know, can you imagine how many hearts are longing for a change from this blur that we're in just as a country? And this is what they're longing for. And Jesus stands up and he provocatively, powerfully, compellingly, astoundingly says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, you know, everybody sort of first responded about saying, oh my goodness, what gracious words are coming from. This is Joseph's son. Oh my, they're kind of like, wow, this is incredible. And then they began to think about it. And we'll get into this in two weeks. And then they're like, oh man. And Jesus incites them. (laughs) And we'll come to this in two weeks. But then they're like, no, this can't be. This cannot be. This cannot be. The new day cannot have begun yet. It can't have. And how dare he say that he's the one? How dare he? And they try and throw him off a cliff and murder him. But Jesus rolls up the scroll, gave it to the attendant and sat down, which is a posture of, it's done, it's complete. This is me. I am the Messiah. And this new day has been launched. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when I ask the question, what season are we in the life of the church? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that. As I've just been saying, the church is at quite a low ebb in this country. If we had to catalogue our individual woes and problems, it would be a misery pool right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, life has its challenges. But what I want to, the reason I chose this passage 10 years ago was because when Jesus marched into Nazareth and took this particular passage and said the new age has begun, what he was basically saying is, Whatever we're hoping for, whatever rescuer we think we need, whatever our hopes and dreams in God really are, we're in the time where they're being fulfilled. And you and I can so often get beaten down into thinking, well, if the Lord does this, or if he pours out this, or if he does this, or when this happens, when everybody da-da-da-da-da, wait, 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 wait. Long, 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 long. And actually what Jesus is saying, no, boom, today this is happening. This is the time where the blind eyes are seeing. This is the time where the oppressed are being released. This is the time, and I might get him in a minute, this is the time where we're sounding the trumpets because it's jubilee time. Now, the, now how we enter into that is where Jesus is going to end up in his destination, his earthly destination in the cross. And because of the cross and the resurrection, we can enter into the time of the messianic age, the time of the kingdom coming. That is for you and I. 
and that day is now. It's not when we get our act together. It's not when we sort of finally sort out that secret sin we've been working on. You know, it's now and it's today. And what I wanted to say 10 years ago was, can we as the church create the sort of atmosphere whereby it just feels like Jesus is around? <laughs> it just feels like the bound are getting released. It feels like those who just can't see, and, uh, whether it's physically or whether it's spiritually. Everybody suddenly, oh my goodness, I'm coming into 2020 vision. It's like this is the time. It's the time of rejoicing. It doesn't matter if we have a time of sorrow and grief because it, we can do that, but we've got heaven's help to grieve and to be sorrowful because this is the time where things are being made right. And what confuses us is that the world is kind of falling apart, and that's kind of fine um, to some extent. Uh, I don't mean it's kind of fine. It's not good that it's falling apart. <laughs> But what confuses us is we think it should be like John Lennon said. Imagine, you know, everything's all sorted. And it's not all sorted, but Jesus launches the age to send us, boom, to proclaim it and to be the church transforming the darkness of society that we find ourselves in. Now, let me give you five reflections on what I've learned over the last 10 years, because I just want to add them to this, and then I want to just land this with something. So I think we've got some slides. Have we got some slides? I've worked so hard on this in the week. <laughs> right, I'm going to get my phone, if not. Right, um, okay. Don't worry. If we haven't got it, don't worry. The first reflection is... Airplane mode off. <laughs> um, the first reflection is this. The supernatural manifestation of the kingdom is not optional. Not that one. Done that one. Did that 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Keep going. The supernatural manifestation of the kingdom is not optional. Now, you and I cannot heal a broken body, sort anything out. I have no strength. You know, someone who says to me, oh, it's placebo. I'm like, have you tried healing anybody through the... <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, no. This is where the spirit of the Lord's on me to open the eyes of the blind, to find those who've got a faint spirit and, and release the oil of gladness. The supernatural manifestation of the kingdom is not optional. But you see, I sometimes think, Oh, you know, on a good day when I've done all, on, when I've got a following wind and I'm feeling really good and all the kids are happy, da 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 da. I could probably listen to God for a prophetic word. No, I was in a restaurant on Tuesday night and we had a waitress who was from Romania. She was brilliant. I mean, gave her a nice tip and everything. And I caught her just as we were setting up, um, setting up the bill, and I said to her, um, "Kozashi, do you believe in God?" She's like, "No." Stone cold. It's like, bash me away. You know, it's like, no. uh, just like that. So then I, I said, well, I just, this might, sound, this might sound a bit odd, but I'm a Christian. I didn't pull the vicar card, so don't let yourselves off the hook for that. <laughs> All right? I'm a Christian. Sometimes God speaks to me. I might be off as a beautiful meal, but it might have gone, you know, got, made me a bit funny. But I just wondered, is this 
going on for you in your life? And she welled up straight away, touched her heart. That's exactly what's going on for her in her life. So I said, well, God sees you. He's with you and he knows you and he's drawing you. Um, can I pray for you? And she let me pray for her. Um, and then she said, do you know what? I grew up Roman Catholic and I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to go to church on Sunday after that. That was whatever you did. Uh, and I said, well, go and tell the priest what's happened and go and just let him know what, and he'll help you and he'll look after you and point you in the right direction. Now, this is what we, you try and just tell somebody something without using the supernatural gifts of God and often it's like, boosh. But when you, when you listen to a father who loves that person way more than I do, and he wants to speak and use us, it just opens people up. Does this make sense? So supernatural manifestation is not optional. And if we want to bear fruit in this day and age, it's for you and I. Right. Number two. So we haven't got these, have we, Sonia? Don't worry. Number two. The lenses of church as the sole focus for our ministry have to be intentionally removed. The lenses of church, whether it's Sundays, whether it's KFC, which is our small communities, whether it's um, Wednesdays here as we do worship and prayer, as the sole focus for our ministry have to be removed intentionally. I said it better the first time. Have to be intentionally removed. What I mean by that is, 10 years ago, and I've said this over the years, but I just want to say this with seriousness, church is the training ground. We learn about who the Lord is, and we learn how to minister and, and how he works in the safest environment possible, which is his family, where we can make mistakes and trip over and forgive each other. So that's what we do as the church. But the destination is not for brilliant services. That's not to do down church. You know, does, does the enemy wants to swing the pendulum the other way and go anti-church. Uh -uh, da, da, da. No, no, no. Um, no, but it's about saying we learn in church for the world. So that, now, I cannot get to all your friends and your colleagues. You know, and you, I mean, one or two of them, you can grind down and invite them to church and grind them down, grind them down, grind them down, grind them down, grind them down if you're brave enough. And they actually know you're a Christian. <laughs> but if you beat them long enough, they might come to something. Or <laughs> you could burst forth from church and you be Jesus to them. And you help transform their lives with the power of God moving through you. Because that's how we get to every single person. Across social groupings and across... You know, you might be a young family and you only see young families for a while or you might be retired. You see ret well, your place where you are to be God's hands and feet for this time. But if we're not intentional about this, um, four, four years ago when we were on sabbatical, I just felt like there's so much good here. Oh, but we're not, we're not getting to the lost enough. We're not getting to the broken enough. And that's the heart of God. So I just want to say to us here, we've just got to intentionally remove this and just say, awesome, I come to church to be healed, filled up, see who God is, rejoice and worship him for who he is, to be filled with his power, to be sent forth, almost spewed out every Sunday, to get to work, get to home, get to my neighbours and say, I've got to tell you about him. I've got to tell you what happened yesterday. It might be a bit odd 
I, that's fine. Use all those disclaimers, those caveats, whatever. Trip over yourself. But at some point, you've got to say, I've got to tell you, man, Jesus loves you. He's for you. Or listen to him. If, it, if it's like a stone wall, listen to the Holy Spirit to unlock the conversation. Right, number three. This is what I've learned and reflected on. Character and intimacy with God formed through preparation and trial sustain the ongoing and increasing flow of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been talking a bit about character and, and just getting serious, seriously into the world. The best way of forming character is to devour the Bible and then to promise God that you will practice it. So when someone pushes in front of you in the coffee queue, you know what God does. He says, is there anybody else? Because I turned the other cheek. That's what Jesus taught me. So God bless you. Would you like my coat as well? In fact, let me go home and get my best coat. That's what Christians do. And, and that's where characters form, through the washing of the word, devouring this stuff, and then almost like saying, Lord, I will live this out. And I practice it at church. I, I don't let myself get offended. I forgive until I, I can't forgive anymore, and then I'll catch God's heart, and then I'll, I'll love to forgive. And, and I just, I live, I, I trust in God with my life, and, and that's where it's formed. And, and if we don't, then we just have all these little blockages in our flesh and our sins and the like fractures that just slow us, slow down the, the river of God from being able to flow fully. All right? Everyone went quieter then. Okay, slide four. The compassion of God for a hurting world will be squeezed out by self-actualization if we divorce signs and wonders from the gospel. Okay, that was a long sentence. You ready? It, as, this, is, this is why I'm not very good at tweeting. It needs to be less than that. The compassion of God. All Jesus' ministry. Can you hear the atmosphere? The Spirit of the Lord's on me. Because this is the time where the downtrodden are lifted up. Where those who are bound are freed. You hear the Father's heart just resounding through Jesus. But the compassion of God will, for a hurting world. It's like, how dare we keep what God's presence in the church? The compassion of God for a hurting world will be squeezed out through self-actualization. What I mean by that is this whole sort of me, 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 me. I'm going to be, become this or that. Or, or the goal of our ministry is like, I, I need to pray healing for my friend because she's having a really tough time with this. That's fine and it's good. But signs and wonders accompany the gospel. And when we divorce it from the gospel, we, we divorce it from Jesus' mission into the world. And so what I was just saying about um, the waitress in the restaurant. Now, if I'd said to her, did you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? She'd have probably laughed in my face. But when she knew that God knew some of the really hard things she's dealing with in her life, then it opened her up to realize that God loves her and he sees her and he's for her. And then it's like, well, why wouldn't you go to church on Sunday when you know who God is? And he cuts through the concrete layers of unbelief that our culture's told everybody. And he says, no, you're known by me and I'm for you. 
But that gets squeezed out when we, when we either turn in on ourselves for our own self-fulfillment. I want to be healed because I just want to be healthy and I'm afraid of dying. Or we divorce it from the gospel, which is, do you know, I'm going to pray for healing for you. But let me give you the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ, who loves you. And you can be with him forever and ever and ever. All right? Is everyone okay? And the final one is the kingdom coming. Or as we call it in our third church value, heaven, the kingdom of heaven being here is not idealistic perfectionism. Who here sometimes struggles with perfectionism? Yeah. The sort of a shadow side of control. So it's all right, the Lord's just discipling us. <laughs> Heaven is here, it's, is not idealistic perfectionism. It is living with the expectancy of God breaking into our reality and drawing on his present reality when it doesn't appear to be breaking in. What I mean by that is, Um, what I mean by that is the goal of the ministry of Jesus is not to beef us all up into these perfect humans but it's to announce to us that the reign of Jesus where broken hearts get mended where broken lives get put back together where relationships can be restored where there's joy instead of depression where the, all of that is breaking in to our present reality through the Lord Jesus by his Holy Spirit. And so we live expectant. Man, today could be the day. I've prayed for you a thousand times, but today could be the day. We live expectant. We live expectant that today's going to be the day where that breakthrough comes because Jesus is around. And when it doesn't, then we don't shrink away or hide that. But we say, thank God that you've released the Holy Spirit who is our comforter, who comes to bind up our broken hearts and to give us patience and self-control when it isn't happening. It's like Jesus is on the move and we're expecting and excited for him to break in. And when he doesn't, we've still got the third person of the Trinity to give us strength and hope when there's despair. That's, that's what heaven is here looks like. And so we do mourn, but we don't, as the Bible says, mourn as those without hope. When we're brokenhearted, he comes to bring comfort. He comes to bring the atmosphere of heaven into our lives and to restore us into the likeness of Jesus. Is this all right? So I just want to say, finish this off with this. When is this happening? What season are we in? Today. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today is the time. You might say, or someone might say to you, well, you're only Joseph's son, like they did of Jesus. Haven't got it all sorted, haven't spent enough time with God, you know, got this, da 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 da. Doesn't matter, because it's not about you. <laughs> it's about Jesus, and it's about what he's done for us, to then transform us and send us to school, 
to work, to our families, to send us from here, to, to say with Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to bring good news. So you march into work tomorrow, you stand by the coffee machine and you put the biggest Cheshire cat grin on your face and you say, do you know what? I'm here. <laughs> and because I'm here, someone better than me's here and it's Jesus and it's going to be a good day. And do you know what? Whatever's going on, can I help? Can I serve? Can I bless you? And then you start saying, Holy Spirit, where are you at work today? Where are you moving? How can I join in with you? Because when we're in the season Jesus is in, then what happens is he lands on us and it all begins to become anointed and fruitful because we're recognizing today is the day for the kingdom to come. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up.